0: For more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Erica is a 66-year-old woman who was recently in for her health maintenance physical. At that time, you ordered a number of tests. You're reviewing the results with her, and notice her bone density test had a T-score of minus 1.8. As you discuss the results with her, you begin to explain about normal bone loss. She is surprised because she takes calcium and vitamin D every day. She asks, what else can I do? Her mother broke her hip when she was 70 and never had a good quality of life afterwards. Erica's worried, and now so are you. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Alan Ehrlich, associate professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and executive editor of Dynamid. Alan, thank you for coming. Thanks, Frank. Nice to be here today. So um, Erica sounds like a fairly common patient. Bone density tests are are always frustrating. Can you remind us about when we should begin screening adults for osteoporosis and and what their outcomes can be? So the recommendations come from
1: the National Osteoporosis Foundation, and they suggest that women over 65 be screened and men over 70 be screened. In addition, if you use a validated tool such as the FRAX calculator and someone has a 3% 10-year risk of a hip fracture or a 20% uh, 10-year risk of any kind of fracture, then those people should also be screened. Finally, anyone who is on a, a glucocorticoid for more than three months is at risk, or anyone over 50 who's had a fracture that is you know, not obviously traumatic, such as an MVA or something like that.
0: All right, so that's when to screen. When you do screen, you, you often get uh, results of osteopenia. What's osteopenia, and how's it different from osteoporosis? Well,
1: bone loss
0: for all uh, adults
1: is a spectrum. And we use a T-score to compare how much bone mass an individual has compared to the peak mass typically uh, in someone's mid-30s. And when you, uh, when you measure this, it's done in terms of standard deviations, and the T-score is measuring how many standard deviations below that mean peak bone mass somebody is. So a T-score of minus one means one standard deviation below the mean. And if it, you have a a T-score of minus 2, it'd be two standard deviations. Osteopenia is defined as between minus 1 and minus 2.5 standard deviations, and osteoporosis
0: is anything that's 2.5 standard deviations or lower. Okay, so Erica's um, between, she's in that osteopenia range with her minus 1.8. What does this new data talk about that might change how we go about addressing osteopenia? So most of the data on
1: management of osteoporosis with medication focuses on women who already have osteoporosis. Anyone who has osteopenia is at risk for developing osteoporosis, but there isn't a lot of data so far on the management of women with osteopenia. And the reality is that they are responsible for a very large number of the total fractures because there's so many more women with osteopenia than osteoporosis. There's been a little bit of data previously, but now there was a large study in the New England Journal. They looked at 2,000 postmenopausal women who had osteopenia, and they gave them zolindronic acid, 5 milligram infusion, once every 18 months for a total of six years. So a total of four infusions. And it showed that they were able to reduce the number of fragility fractures that these women were experiencing.
0: Wow. Um, that's, that's pretty wild. Um, talk a little bit about what zoledronic acid is and, and other drugs that we use for osteoporosis, if you would. Sure. So zoledronic acid is
1: uh, in the class of bisphosphonates, and it's, it can be administered intravenously, and you only have to give it once, and it's good for at least a year. And so that's uh, a very attractive dosing option compared to an oral medication such as alendronate where you either give 5 milligrams daily or you give a weekly dose of 35 milligrams. There is another intravenous uh, bisphosphonate that can be given monthly, but the, the goal here is to tr- try and do something that would be very easy as a prevention when you're talking about something that's happening on a very large scale as
0: would apply to the, the treatment of osteopenia. Okay, so um, what did this study find by, by treating osteopenia with zoledronic acid once every 18 months? So the vertebral
1: fractures were reduced in a significant way from about 5% to 2.3%. And that, roughly speaking, gives a number needed to treat of about 40. There was a reduction in hip fractures, but it was not statistically significant. The difference was uh, 0.8% in the treated group versus 1.2% in the untreated group. So again, all of the data on the management of osteopenia or osteoporosis, when they look at hip fracture data, it's always harder to prove that because hip fractures happen so much less than your typical vertebral compression fractures. Mm
0: -hmm. Any adverse effects of these infusions? In this study, it was well tolerated.
1: The bisphosphonates that can be given intravenously do pose a risk for what's called an acute phase reaction and that can be characterized by muscle pain, joint pain, bone pain, some low-grade fever, and some fatigue. That usually, you know, is not something that is a burden. But many, uh, but people who experience that that those symptoms, often will not have another injection. So, uh, the zoledronic acid, like all bisphosphonates, does put you at risk for medication-induced osteonecrosis of the jaw.
0: Again, uncommon, but it's something that people need to be aware of and need to be warned about. So my biggest concern with this drug in patients uh, with osteoporosis is getting it approved by their insurer because of the cost. Um, Is there any data that shows maybe using one of the oral agents will be effective for osteopenia? There is some data with Alendronate. It, again, also uh,
1: found benefit just with the vertebral fractures and not with the hip fractures. And, you know, from a quality of life point of view, we tend to focus more on the hip fractures because they're so much more debilitating. Uh, The other drugs have not been evaluated. There hasn't been a lot of research focused on the osteopenic population per se. There has been some data that's focused on the women who are at increased risk based on, for instance, a FRAX calculation. And those studies will often combine women with osteopenia and osteoporosis, and
0: the data isn't often broken down to see where the benefit really comes from. Well, seeing how this agent isn't, is not yet FDA approved for this indication, I suspect this is looking towards the future rather than something we can probably start using today. I'm not sure I agree with that, Frank. You know, you're probably focused
1: on the insurance aspects of this, but the drug is now generic, and you can get one dose for about two hundred dollars, and for two hundred dollars for something that's going to last a year and a half, that's within the out-of-pocket expense most patients can afford. Uh, so, if it's if you're in the right setting, I think it's worth discussing even now. And again, as you know,
0: once that some uh, drug is FDA approved, we have a lot of latitude in how we use it. All right. So um, this is something, a tool that you might consider using in the right patient now. What else can we do for women with osteopenia or for any patients with osteopenia? Well, there's some standard advice that the Nas- National
1: Osteoporosis Foundation gives, such as eating a balanced diet, uh, having dairy products as a source of calcium along with fruits and vegetables, ensuring that the total calcium intake is at least 1,000 milligrams a day for men uh, and 1,200 for women for, uh, over the age of 50. In addition, vitamin D supplementation is advised for anyone who might be at risk. And you know, for m- large parts of the country, including where we are up here in the Northeast, uh, most people become vitamin D deficient sur- during the winter months. So the goal there is at least 800 to 1,000 units per day. Weight-bearing exercise is something that is advised. That clearly will help strengthen the hips in particular. And it, we shouldn't forget more... Um, simple things such as fall prevention, often because the, uh, the interventions for fall prevention take place in the home and we see the patients in the office, we don't think about things like lighting and loose rugs and other things like that. But those are all equally important, making sure vision wear is appropriate, people
0: aren't having problems seeing and they're not getting the proper care from an eye specialist i did see a paper just within the last month that talked about the efficacy of referrals for physical therapy for fall prevention in seniors and they rolled it out universally not based upon bone density testing and had a huge impact probably uh, something like 3 to 5% per year reduction in hip fracture rates just by doing fall prevention training. So that's, that's wonderful advice. Any final thoughts on this? Yeah, one other thing on the uh, fall prevention. It's all well and good to
1: always think about what the patient can do, but sometimes, you know, we have to look in the mirror. Yeah. And the Beers criteria has just been updated. Mm-hmm. And medications are a prime factor in falls in the elderly, and we need to be always monitoring patient's medication list for do they really need to be on these medications or not, and which medications, if they have to have something that's treating them, have the least risk of adverse events in an elderly population.
0: And I think having that new Beers criteria as a podcast in the not-too-distant future will be a reality. Please bring that one forward, Alan, and thank you for discussing this topic. Thanks, Frank. Practice pointer. Treatment of osteopenia with zoledrenic acid may become the new norm in the management of patients at risk for fractures. Join us next time when we talk about the use of statins for primary prevention in patients over the age of 75. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast, and see you next week.